This episode of Hunter Camp Down Under is brought to you by Ridgeline. Ridgeline have just released their new performance range, featuring brand new styles and high performance fabrics for winter 2020. One of the highlights is the new Ascent Jacket for men and women. The new Ascent Soft Shell Jacket is designed for use as a performance layering piece and has been rigorously tested in the South Island of New Zealand. The new Ridgeline performance range features a new Realtree Escape camouflage print. It fits into the environment you hunt in and the colours appear to adapt to the terrain. All the new gear is available in Australia and New Zealand and for your local stockist, check out the website www.ridgelineclothing.com.au This episode is proudly brought to you by Zeiss Optics. The legendary Zeiss binoculars are founded on exceptional optical performance, outstanding ergonomics and robust construction. Zeiss innovations have constantly expanded the limits of what's technically possible. Generations of hunters and shooters swear by their Zeiss binoculars, being heirloom quality products that are passed down from generation to generation, together with the stories that came with them. Experience the Zeiss Victory SF, the most versatile premium binoculars in the company's 165-year history. Find your local stockist at www.osaustralia.com.au. With the crazy world we live in today, many of us seek the adventure of the unknown. Join us everyday Aussies from all walks of life share stories from men and women of all hunting camps. From tips and techniques to the emotional rollercoaster ride of fulfilling a lifelong dream, there is a story to be told by all. Welcome to Hunting Camp Down Under. Um, it was punching you through me computer instead of where I wanted to. Yeah, right. All right. Yeah, so you anyway, man. Yeah, all right. Just uh, trying to navigate what's happening at the moment, you know. <laughs> it's a hard, um, quite a hard situation to be in because, as, as you said, we've fucking got no control, man. No, that's right. It's, um, I don't know, like it's, you have all these opinions, but, you know, you put, you've got to put your faith in the people that are actually running the country, whether they're doing yep. the right thing or not. But, you know. We're just pawns to be moved around, aren't we? I think so, mate. I mean, I've been on force leave now. Um, kind of, uh, I kind of sort of put my hand up to do it too because obviously being in the real estate game, you know, we're sitting there twiddling our thumbs. Yep, yep. I've got, had three kids at home and it's just like, well, what am we doing here? Like, so I said, well, they're like, oh, you can work from home. And I'm like, yeah, well, that's all well and good. But, mate, I'm getting two phone calls a week. Like, to yeah. me, that's kind of just taking the piss out of the... Out of the bosses, you know what I mean? So I just sort of this said, oh, is, look, I'll just, yeah. you know, I'll start taking leave, I guess. Still, and, and still taking calls. And how long do you think, um, so obviously, you know, you're set up to do that. But see, I've, I've been thinking, I, I'm still at work, like we've split the factory and we're working 50-50 different shifts so we don't come into contact with each other as much. But yep, yep. to me, even that's not going to solve anything because you've got people's wives at home and, and you're touching all the same things other people yeah. are touching. And I don't know, it's just I want to be at home to keep my family a bit safer because I'm the weak link that's having to go out because my wife, you know, she's stay-at-home mum, two kids. And what do you do, you know? Yep. You, I would happily sacrifice the money for them to be – Safe, safe but for how long do you do that? You know, you've yeah. all got bills to pay. You know, yeah. I mean, I suppose this. Um, I suppose you know, a couple of incentives that are starting to come in. 
you know, mm. he could change yep. things a little bit, like in the way that, you know, they, they can sort of protect our jobs a bit. I mean, I'm, I'm bloody lucky too. Like I work for my in-laws and my wife works with us, but the trouble with that is when we're both there, the kids are at school or daycare. Yeah, and you haven't got that option. No, and so we've pulled them straight out. Same thing, you know, to go, well, you don't really want to send them, you know, as much as it's a safe place, you don't want to send them to six or 700 kids if you don't need to as well. No, that's and, uh, but then it's like, well, only one of us can really be at work. So we're very lucky. It's probably We're probably in that position where we're probably too lucky because you can't actually make a decision that's not forced upon us. Yeah. Where we've yep. sort of got that freedom. So anyway, we'll uh, hopefully it sort of goes sort of you know, just another few weeks. And I don't know. I really don't know. I mean, being real estate, I don't, <laughs> it could get slower and slower. We don't know. Well, in in that profession, you don't know. Obviously, people are tightening their belts and what they can afford and can't afford because they don't know how long it's going to last. Same as you, so that's it. You know, in in the where you're selling stuff or buying stuff, it's uh, it's who knows, you know. Yeah, it, and that that's what's hard. Like you, yeah. Well, I mean, it's common sense. You know, you you don't really you don't have contracts to meet or anything like that. Like you, you mm. really are at the mercy of, you know, how how everything goes like how every people feel at the other end of this how long it is that's right and you know it's it'll highlight a lot of people how much they overstretch themselves as well oh. you know and to have that nice car or that new house yeah yep. and, and this will highlight that fact you know right there you, perhaps you, know, don't need it. you know we're sort of like okay so we're sort of looking ahead as if like all right how how long can we go as we are now like if we've got that minimal thing coming in as I said, those incentives will will sort of you know change the game a little bit, and uh, yep. And we looked at it and was like, no, we you know we we could probably do three months, you know, and then otherwise you sort of going to go, <laughs> yeah, things might have to start getting knocked off, you know what I mean? So yeah, yeah. But yeah. anyway, we'll see what happens. There'll always be someone in a worse situation, so don't definitely, worry. Definitely. <laughs> well, man, before yeah. we get too carried away, mate, we uh might get to introduce yourself, mate. Yeah. So I'm Mark Pitts. I'm originally from England. I moved to Australia so I could hunt with my bow and I run Marksman Quivers. Sort of got that off the ground and been trying to keep it moving ever since. Yeah. How long have you been in here for? 12 years, I think. Yep. 2008, I got here. Eight. That'd be back in the yeah. bar hunting forum days, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like pretty remember. early on that one as well. You know, yeah. that was the the glory, the glory days. It really. was. I think oh, like end of oh, oh nine, nine ten. Were, were, yeah, yeah, yeah. It fired away and then it crashed. <laughs> was it twenty twelve? I think it went under, didn't it? Something like that. Yeah, yeah. I. You know, it it died a slow lingering death, I think, and it's still hanging on probably somewhere. But yeah, yeah. that's the time. Uh, you know when all the there was a lot of knowledge being shared on there and, and myself coming over here you know it yep. was a perfect place for me it was the savior you know to dive straight into that and, and be among the people that were coming up then and sharing knowledge you know it was oh, it was amazing you know i met some good people there you know and so became friends and good friends idols that i looked up to and inspired yep. me to do stuff you know it's yeah, it was good. You'd Very love to good. you'd love to grab all that info that was there because I think I oh, I went and when it crashed the first seven. time, yeah. Oh my god, and all that got lost. Oh. All the Stoyanovsky stories, the mm. Southwells, everything, all that, yeah, that was documented, gone. I think that was the beginning of the end, wasn't it? Yeah, you know? yeah definitely. Because I think I jumped on. 
I think I did the Cape in 07 was my first trip to the Cape in 07. And then yep. I pretty much come back and then I think I found out about the forum when I was on that trip. Um, yeah, been, right. Yeah, so it might have been a, like late 07, 08 is when I jumped but on. That, that's, yeah, 07 because that was sort of the year before I came to Australia. So I was, yeah, I found it then and was oh, getting on there, yeah. Man. Same well, time. Where, in all honesty, I mean, that's where, yeah, a lot of the, like yourself and, you know, the Southwell boys and um, the Stan boys and that, like that's sort of, how I knew of the name names, you know, not mm. not of any stature. Like just like, oh yeah, no, I remember reading his story, or remember this, or remember that question. And I mean, yeah, that's it. The boys that I hang around with now, um, you know, we originally met through the forum. All in that would be a common bond for a lot of bow hunters in Australia. Oh, massively, massively. You know, well, man, tell us. Um, we might as well kick it off on the on the original adventure. Um, you know, how did it come about that? You know, what made you think Australia was a place to hunt? And then we'll, uh, you know, we'll move sort of through those times into into the, um, business as well. But, you know, tell us originally sort of how, how it sort of came about to come out to Australia. Um, mainly I, I went, I did a trip to New Zealand on my own when in 2006. I was, I've always hunted and that, my dad and I kind of, we already had always had bows laying around and that. And I kind of, I went to a, a shooting show in England and there was a real tree video on VHS video. And I stood yep. watching that and I was like, this is awesome. I've got to get more into this. And, and <laughs> so obviously, cool. you know, it's illegal in England. So I was like, ah, you know, you can't get any information. There's nothing. The archery shops didn't want to talk about anything like that. And so I, I kind of, you know, I bought a bow, started messing around a compound and, and shot a few little things, you know, rabbits and stuff. And then I kind of, um, I sort of got into it a bit harder and I was, you know, buying stuff from the States and that. And, and, uh, I wanted to go, I wanted to obviously do a hunt, you know, watching all these things from America, elk hunting and that. And I kind of, um, weighed it up and I decided on New Zealand and I found a, a person that would guide me there and, pretty much yeah so i was what 23 yep and i'd only been on a plane a few times and i was like yeah i'll just go and do that so i, I spent like four grand flew to the other side of the world on my own i wanted people to go with me and then i was like you know these people aren't going to go and want to spend time on a mountain and do what i do so i just like just got to jump in both feet and do it on your own so rocked up at the airport in 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 um was it down in Canterbury, like down there, Mosquil. So it would have been Dunedin Airport. And uh, yeah, a guy picked me up and we had a chat and got on pretty well because he was around my age. And yeah. yeah, and then spent the next 14 days in the bush hunting, you know, pigs with dogs and bow hunting red deer and whitetail and all kinds of stuff, it's you know. Jumps, jumps just straight a, into it. Yeah, just a, it was just a massive adventure, you know. Yep. I, 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 I can remember we we did a hike up into a valley there down near Queenstown and for whitetail deer and red deer and and it was like a three hour hike and I you know back then I'm where I'm from in England is just like flat farming land mm -hmm. and I was no way prepared for the mountains and <laughs> it just annihilated me and I was like oh you know I was telling people hike for three hours when I got back home and I look back on that now what i've done in new zealand and it's you know it's nothing but it was yeah. just a massive adventure and come home and when i got home i basically had a decision to make of live at home with my parents my whole life and 
and pay to go on these holidays and never get anywhere or yeah. just go somewhere where I can do it and be, you know, close to NZ or Australia and yeah. and move there and then visit home. So, yeah, and then I had a year at home, 2007, and then I left for Australia in 2008 on my own, just come over here. So do you, yeah. have any, do you have any connections in Australia like at that time or was I had, off off? So I had a friend um, a friend a few years below me at school. He was over in WA and he was working for a cray fishing boat uh-huh. sort of charter thing and I was going to go and stay with him. And then he – I was going to stay with him and then I'd met people on the forum that were in New South Wales and I was going to come over and visit. And then he ended up – breaking his arm and he couldn't work so he had to come home because he was on a second year visa so i just kind of yeah come straight to new south wales and yeah that was it that's crazy. met my wife and you know it wasn't my wife then but met her and uh yeah we've just kind of come a long way since then house oh, and kids now and definitely so did did things move like quickly straight away like obviously you found the forum way back then and we'll we'll dissect sort of you know how it sort of came about to, to meeting the people you did but did it all base around that one you know just the sheer chance you found the forum or did it uh, was there different not, sort of other um parts well, of it that came in i when i when i left england i i had a um my boss had a connection over here and he he um sort of teed it up with him that i could go and work for them but that was in you know my my wife, who I kind of met, sort of, we sort of met a bit online before mm-hmm. I came over, and we've been talking for a few months, you know. And then I came over, and we sort of kept going from there. But he, she was living out in Liverpool, and this was in Chatswood, this company that my boss had sort of teed up with. And at the start, I was like, "No, I can't. I don't know the roads and shit. I can't travel out there." And <laughs> I started working wiring ambulances in Milpera close by and, yep. and that could, but on a on a holiday visa you could only work for six months so yeah. they wanted me to stay but at the end of six months I couldn't so I was like said to the to this guy who my boss had his connection and he sort of helped me start doing a visa and they sponsored me so then I got to with that job was um, broadcast Australia. I got to travel all over Australia basically and work at all the remote TV stations oh, and, and all that. So yeah, I, I got to basically be a paid backpacker and, and just travel everywhere. And, Unreal. And that was really good because I, you know, that's how I, you know, came across a few people. Yep. Really at, at early on. So this was sort of uh, mid end of 2008 to sort of start 2009 that's when i first met paul ray because i was walking up working up in warwick there and yeah yeah met him i I sort of was contacting people off the forum that i've been speaking to and and you know a few people i know i was going to go and see our kidna when he was um living at Mackay, but he was he was away working so then when i was down near warwick there in stanthorpe i I went to see paul and, and hit it off with him and that's kind of and then through that, I got introduced to other people, and it sort of snowballed to who yeah. I know now. You know, yeah, massively. <laughs> yeah, it's um, yeah, it was. It's I don't know. It's worked out pretty good. You couldn't write it any better, I don't think. But it's uh, yeah. so yeah, and worked in that job, traveling around for three or four years, and got married, and then you know I had another traveling, and we wanted to start a family, and that so sort of yeah. knocked that on the head, and been working at building switchboards and like electrical switchboards for seven years now close by yeah. i just had enough of traveling yeah fair enough 
Yeah, it's a big strain. So yeah, um, I want to jump back to um, I want to jump back to the like back in England. You 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 said something there that the hunting or bow hunting is illegal. Is that right? Is that did I yes, hear yes. that correctly? How yes. I don't want to, and not to get too political, but how does that sit? You know, archery because obviously archery is pretty. The actual sport of it is quite big over there, but yep, yeah. How, how is that balanced? Um, is it you know heavily patrolled or is it? It's just uh, something well, that no one does. This, you know, these are these are ancient laws. These are back from the king, you know, where you couldn't hunt his deer, you know, okay. and you'd have yep. poor people starving. It's just, it's just it from then, you know. It's there's no I, I, you know, when when I left, you know, we, I'd only sort of just started exploring the internet and that, and you know that was well actually before that, but in in the sort of two thousands and that, I had a lot of access to it, you know, like. Yep computers and that and and i was trying to find loopholes and and other places to hunt and and you could go bow hunting in france and that but obviously you know at that time there wasn't as much information on it and that and and poland and all a lot of the european countries but they were all really trophy orientated you know you'd pay per millimeter of tusk or whatever you know and, and i just wanted to hunt i didn't care yeah. what it was because i couldn't do it and and it so that kind of and it was big money as well so it didn't it was far cheaper for me to fly to New Zealand and do that, you know, mm-hmm. than than to try and work out speaking, you know, trying to communicate in different languages and, and doing all that and logistics even just there. Whereas here, it was New Zealand was just get on a flight and go, yeah. you know. Because hun- hunting is kind of known as rich man's sport, like it's the elitist, isn't it, over there? Like it, it can be, yeah. It's um, so my my dad was a gamekeeper. So ever since ah, I've grown gotcha. up, you right. know, we've we've hunted pheasants and partridges, and because we looked after the land, I had a lot of land. I was very lucky to have a lot of land I could go on, and you know, our our sport was all the vermin control, you know, from mm-hmm. pigeons and ducks to foxes and and everything, you know. So yep. you know, hunted with dogs and shotguns all my life, you know, since I could walk. So yep. it was, it's always been there to do it. But yeah, you had to then, you know, when you did the pheasant shoots and that, you had a mix with a lot of people that you normally wouldn't mix with, you know, the uh, the the posher ones. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> do you miss Do you miss that kind of environment at all? Like, you know, obviously growing up like that and seeing it, well, the goods and bads of how it works here. But you know, is there parts of that over there that you miss? I do. I do. Yes, I miss. Um, I miss the, the country a lot, but it's changed a lot. You know, I speak to my parents and now and they say it's not like it was, you know, it's overpopulation everywhere and mm-hmm. places that you would go and not see anyone, you know, you would, you know, there's just people yeah, everywhere now, you know, and, and everyone's got a phone and everyone's ready to record what you're doing. It's just not, it's not the same as I was, you know, I remember it differently, but it's just not, it's not the same now. Yeah. So, you know, it's uh, it's good and it's bad. Yeah. You said, um, you know, you, you had to make a decision was, you know, stay, live with your parents. You know, with that, because obviously that sort of being a, a keeper like a, um, that your dad was, like that's something that you kind of stay in, isn't it? Like that's that's quite yeah. a hard thing to get into. I mean, he, he did, it, it kind of, it fell, it fell through kind of, but before I left it started to, because you get people, you know, it's it's hard people get greedy, you know, they yep. want, cause obviously you've got, um, we were looking after the land for someone and then there was other, you've got all these people that are paying to shoot and then the people running it, mm-hmm. there was actually the old man. He was, um, Sir David Hughes. He was, he was looking after, it was his land. We were looking after, you know, and, okay. and do, running the shoot on. And 
he passed away and his son took over and, you know, being, you know, changed. how greedy everything changes. They want more shoots and we had, you know, there was arguments that you can't sustain that and they they just want to put down more raised birds instead of building bigger cover plots to have wild birds come in. Because yep. the wild birds always fly better than the, you know, big bloated farm birds <laughs> that they get. And, and yep. it it's just greed and things never last and, yeah, kind of got to a point and it's just, uh, we just won't do it anymore so yeah i think uh, that's that's part of what you know because I've, I've got a like an english background my, my pop was from from england as well he came out after world war Two, yeah and yep. he um you know i think the big thing was was my dad you know he'd done a lot with uh, the the pointers and that like you know with the shotgun yep. and back in the day around sydney and that same sort of deal when yeah, you know, right. he used to hunt on the castle country club like with a dog and shoot rabbits off the country club, like yeah, yeah. totally different world. And I've got to get him on here actually, and to get him to tell some stories if we can oh, keep on track. But and there would be some good stories. Yeah, um, that's one thing that I think that I would love to go back if there is any kind of place that you can see it would be, you know, working with the dogs over the like the the hound, like the fox foxes, and um, like shooting the birds and stuff like that. I think that's something that I'd. I don't know. Yeah. If they still so do it that, somewhere over there, it'd be good. Oh, they, they do. They do still do it in a lot of places, you know. But um, it, I'd say it's become a lot more commercialized than it yeah. was then. But it was then, you know. It's just I was too young to realize a lot of these things, you know. But, but um, yeah, I mean, dogs, that's what we used to hunt with a lot. Not, not so much the, the packs of hounds, but we had the terriers that we would, yep. you know, put down the foxholes and, and bowl the foxes and shoot them. And we had the lurchers that catch them at night and in the day you know it's yeah, yeah it was really good obviously then being, being a bow hunter like myself what was the urge to go to the bow uh, i think you know i've always been interested in indians and all that yeah. tribal stuff and it's just you know it's a pure way of hunting you know and and it was only i was i was in when i went to new zealand it was with a compound yep and i i've always liked the wooden bows and and longbows really and and i when i came here i didn't have enough room because i had a two-piece takedown longbow and i basically bought all archery stuff oh you know i had like a couple of changes of clothes that was it the rest was fletching jigs all my <laughs> archery stuff quivers and whatnot and yeah. and i only had enough room to bring my longbow so i left my compound at home which was like a matthew switchback and yeah. i left that at home and then from then i just stuck with the traditional stuff and when i i visited home i've been back twice <laughs> i should go back more but the second time i come over i bought my bow back and i sold it straight yeah, right, there it. You go. <laughs> yeah. my compound and, and there, yeah, there was just, no no urge to to, to pick up the wheel nah, no. just just um just straight on the traditional stuff it's just yeah it sort of sounds like it you know obviously you know talking to you previously but it sounded like that was kind of just grassroots it was always there you just you just had to find it yeah, that's it. it was uh, I, oh, it's just I don't know. There's a lure to wood and leather, and you know that stuff. It's a simplest simplicity about it. You know, it's I was when when I was hunting in New Zealand, I was you know things had happened, and and you know the bush there is thick, and you'd mm-hmm. hit stuff, and then you'd shoot at an animal and miss it, and I'd be like, you know, I'm oh, my sights off, and uh, <laughs> with a with a trad bow, you haven't got them problems. It's yeah. you, you know, you can't blame no one else. It's just you. Yeah, <laughs> so that's what's going on. How is just I, make it easier? Before I jump down the the, the New Zealand rabbit hole, because I know there's some stories that come out of that, but you know, mm. how was the growth with the with the the traditional? Like, you know, it's something that you can either have a real knack for, or really have to work hard, like. What was 
what was your sort of journey? Um, well, like I said before, I've always had bows. You know, we've always had them laying back, laying about at home. You know, I, I think I was seven when I started. I actually went to archery lessons. My dad took me, and we'd always have. I can remember we had a big round straw target with a picture of a grizzly bear on it, and I'd cool. always shoot that with my little bow when I was younger. And so it's always been there shooting that. But yeah, I mean, I, I was I was deeply into it. I'd get home from from you know work and i would shoot every day you know yep. every day without fail and now you know it's everything's in the way and it's once a week you know <laughs> i'll have a shot but you know it, it was just that's all i wanted to do just shoot arrows just yeah. fling wooden arrows in the backyard that's that's yeah. all i used to do so i had enough time doing that that kind of ingrained a lot of probably bad habits in here <laughs> definitely bad habits but, but good things as well you know yeah, that are sure. stuck and it was the finding the information back then there was you know, I you'd find the odd book, but I'd go to archery clubs. There was a local archery club, and I'd go there, and people didn't want to talk about hunting or anything like that, you know. Mm. And, and there was 3D shoes. went to 3D shoes, but still the same thing, you know. People just dismisses taboo, and so you're on your own, really, you know. Yeah, yep. I mean, there's probably people that wanted to do it, but I never, I never found them back then, you know. People you know even just in that short space of 12 years how limited interactions were whereas now you can just jump on any forum and find anything you know yeah anything you know it's uh crazy that's you know by joining that this the australian one that's that information was just flowing on there like you yeah. said yeah do you find it's changed at all and this from your own opinion is is information as free flowed these days at what it was say the early forum days or you reckon it's changed mm. I I think it's changed. I think what was on the forum and and you know there was other forums as well, but that yeah, was sure. we're talking about that main one, the Australian Bow Hunting Forum was it was a lot of um, honest honest information. I think mm -hmm. you could you could pretty quick wheedle out on there who was talking shit and who wasn't, you know, and you could focus on them and and you could learn a lot. Whereas now I don't know with social media, I think it's a lot of people put up only the stuff that they want you to see and, yeah. and you get a lot of people that perhaps aren't as experienced as they make out and and you know everyone's trying to get some information if you're at that stage of of learning you know you're going to grab whatever you think is right you know whereas a forum you've got multiple opinions you know like instagram you might follow one person that says one thing you know it's it can get a bit disjointed because yep. you don't really know who you're speaking to, you know. Yeah, yeah, very much. It, In a lot of cases, it, it is hard. It is hard to come into this sport, I think, now because there's such an expectation on on the success as well, and I think that's oh, what, massively, and that's driven by social media now. I yeah, think, you know? yeah, it has. Yeah, it's definitely changed the tables. But you know, from someone like yourself, that I'm going to say is you know has very much earned, um, you know, respect from someone like myself or whatever, you know, and others. Um, you've done the New Zealand thing bloody well, yeah. to be honest with you. You jumped straight into it. Like, what was the what was the grab there? You know, was it just the purely the adventure? Was it the the testing yourself? Like, or is it such such a build up that there's so much to you know? Um, I don't know. You you can you can spend every minute of the day working on a trip every year if you wanted to. Yeah, yeah. I think you hit the nail right on the head there with them few points. You've got. Obviously, anticipation, adventure, 
gear is a massive thing or it was back then you know when we mm. started going over there it, you know you would spend all your time researching everything and just yeah testing yourself if it you know you need some hardship in your life and and going into the west coast of new zealand is very hard yeah, <laughs> you yeah. that's hardship on a plate right there you know <laughs> it's um and yeah it's all them things you know i the, the fact of living outdoors for a, you know more of an extended period than you're used to normally and even if it's only two weeks two weeks out there is a long time you know oh, yeah. it's always you always want to be there longer at the beginning and then towards the middle and end you want to come home and then as soon as you're on the plane again you're wishing you were back there you know it's yep. it's just something out of the norm and it's doing something that other people can't do or you know a lot of people have said to me you know and uh, why why do you, you already you're already doing it with stick bows. Why do you walk in and make it even harder for yourself? But that's that's the way the, the, the guys that I met and wanted to do it with, we were all of the same opinion. And yep. and that was the thing. If you can't do it like that, then it's not worth doing it. Like yeah. For us, but that's only my opinion and the people I hunt with. But that's But that's I think it, you can you know? use that as a draw. It's a driver. It's not a massively not yeah. so much an opinion. Or I, I take that as just pure determination. It's just like, no, nah, yeah. I'm going to do this and this is how I want to do it. That's um, right, yeah. How did you find – did you have a learning curve as far as the gear goes? I mean, we might as well jump down that um, as we get – and you can probably pull in some, some stories. But, you know, how did you find – was there mistakes made early on? And, and I remember some of the stories, um, you know, on the forum that was written by you and a few other lads. But, you know, what, how was your journey with, you know, different uh, bits of gear and stuff yeah. like that? So, luckily, uh, going back to the forum again, the – Doug and Tony Stoyanovsky, they were a massive um, inspiration, you know, for me, myself, and Paul and Clinton, you know, we all followed them on there and, and hung on every word they would ever put up. And I was, you know, through through Paul and then through Antonio, meeting Antonio and then meeting Doug and Tony, I, I became pretty good friends with Tony, both of them really, but more so Tony at that time and yeah. and. And he, you know, gleaned a lot of information off them, you know, and that helped a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it was crazy, you know, 2007, I was reading these guys' stories and, you know, when I was here a few years, I was, you know, talking to them on the phone, you know, once a week. It's It was crazy. But, yeah, so that only prepares you so far, though. You have to jump in and obviously, you know, they're going to give you their opinion. But unless you've been in that situation, you're not going to – take anything for granted you know believe what they're saying is exactly true until you've been there and then you come back and go yeah this is what they were talking about you know and yeah massively gear gear changes from from everything from cramp on the length of your spikes to you know rain gear and what kind of tents are best and yeah everything it's just constantly evolving you're always spending money on gear and then you get to a point and it's just like yeah i know it works now i don't even have to yeah yeah research anything until something breaks and you've got to replace it and then that thing's not made anymore yeah, so you have to go start bloody that, looking yeah. for it again. <laughs> yeah. There's nothing worse than that. How do you find, yeah. I mean, yeah, look, you know, I suppose your scenario is not like everyone's that you just happen to know the right people at the right time with experience mm. but what what do you think was the number one uh, learning curve from, from a gear point of view? What was the number one sort of learning curve on your first few trips? Mm. Probably don't don't set up your bows till you're where you're going to hunt. Yep. That that probably added 
three hours to our journeys every day walking in just having your bow set up gotcha. because westland is just so thick even on the trails i just you know i was breaking i, I had i had my longbow strapped to my pack and you know it would just the straps the webbing on the pack would just rub on the string and then the one time i was just climbing this thing and just my bow exploded you know oh, nearly shit. in my face and just just strings breaking stuff like that and just it's just awkward and yep. bows get hammered out there it's all rock and bush and you constantly it's not you know they're called walking tracks but they're not they're climbing tracks you yep. know you are literally in four-wheel drive all the time you know yeah it's uh <laughs> low, low range <laughs> just stuff like that yeah just yep. trad stuff's a, a bit of a different ball game out there you know you're trying to keep feathers dry and and arrowheads from rusting and and stashing it all on your pack and your bows yeah we don't now you know you you get in there then you just set up if you come across something on the trail and that's good luck for them bad luck for you you know so given someone that um yeah i'll test you out here um you got you got someone sitting in front of you sitting around you're in camp and you're someone said oh look i'm going to hit up the west coast this year you know what would be the sort of top few pointers that you give them um now, I haven't done it before, but they, you know, they've got a bit of knowledge. What would sort of be the few things that you'd make sure you cover with them? And it could be um, could be trad or could be just yeah, so, right. Just, okay. so so just in general, just um, in general. Uh, have fun, definitely, because it's you, you know, and go with people. Go with people that you know are of the same ilk as you, because if you don't, that will end in tears. Yeah, because you know. There's numerous points, even just walking in, if you're going to walk in. You know, I've never chopped inside, so I don't know. You know, it's yep. probably not as bad. But walking in, I know you get to points and people would not go any further. And if they're the ones carrying the tent, then what do you do? You send them back to the car and yep. you meet them two weeks later and go on your own. Like, it's – I was lucky with who I went with, you know, we were all of the same thing. But So, yeah, go with people that you know are of the same – the same mindset as you gotcha. and um what else would be gear make sure you know how to use your gear before you get out there and have that sounds simple but it, i can yeah, see where you're coming from you, you try putting a tent up when it's pissing down with rain like oh. it's out there or snowing on you're on you know you're only a little bit of nothing's flat out there and it's you know you have some nightmare scenarios but you know you've got to, you've got to be able to have a good um like the way you feel about things because you need to be happy a majority of the time. Otherwise it will just run you down over yep. there and just wear you down. You've got to be able to laugh at even shitty situations. It'll break you. Cause yeah, it will, it will. And you'll, you know, it has done a lot of people, you know, mm. it's, it's crazy, but yeah. So that and make sure your boots are worn in. If you're going to walk in, that's for sure. That's Cause that will ruin you. I on. remember the first, the first time we walked in there, you know, Paul had bloody, I don't know how he did it, but he had, we walked in three days. I think it took us to walk to where we were until we got out of the bush to where we were going to hunt. And Paul had blisters like fifty cent pieces on his heels, oh. and you know he just kept going. Uh, God knows how. <laughs> oh, shit. Oh. So yeah, you just gotta you gotta you gotta know your gear is working before you go in there. Yeah, that's for sure. And and another thing is a big thing for me is when when don't get sucked in by google earth you know because you'll <laughs> you'll sit on there before you go and look at these things and you'll look at topo maps and you'll be like yeah i can go here and then if that doesn't if there's nothing there i can just cut back across that main gully the main valley and go up the other side but 
in reality, you've got like one choice in New Zealand. You just head to one point because you can't, you don't just skip around there. Like I can, I, I was told by someone, oh yeah, this looked good up there. And then I showed Tony and talked to him and he's like, yeah, you just won't get up there. That's it's impossible. Possible. There's, it's just, yeah, you got to have, have a couple of options, but if, you know, and, and just go with them because you can't just flit around out there. It's the country's too big. You know, yeah. you, you could hunt one Valley system all your life and not cover it. You know, like it's, it's just, yeah, ridiculous. How do you keep the drive going? This is just a, a random question, but how do you keep the drive? And I've spoken about this before, and it's been one that sort of, because oh, I'll be straight honest, like I love shooting shit. Like there's no question, like I love success on for my own benefit. Yeah, um, yeah. How do you keep driving yourself? Because, I mean, yeah, you're doing it with trad. You're probably in some of the hardest country in the world, and you know, to, to be able to hunt. And then you got all the weather against you as well. Like, what keeps you going back time after time? Uh, I don't know, because that's that's what you want to do, you know. Yeah. Like, it's just what you think about all the time, and and you know, not that it's failing, you know, but you're not going to kill someone at home, are you? No. But also, <laughs> there's something that pulls you back there. Like, it's a it's a sickness. It is a sickness. Yeah. Like. Once you get that in you, and I've told people that were going over the like you were talking about the campfire earlier, I've told people, get ready, you know, like even Marty Phillips and that, I remember when they went, you know, last year, or the, uh, I was telling him, get ready for this, because once you've been there, that will be, it, you know, they're and still, it's probably, it's, it is the same. They're still yeah, ready to know. go again. Like, they're just waiting. They're waiting to go. And and you forget all the all the pain and suffering that you go through, and and. Yeah, it's it's the same with you know I've heard people say it about Africa and everything. It's just a you you just want to keep going back. But yeah, I don't I don't really know how New Zealand gets that grasp on you when it's so shitty to, to keep pulling you back there. But it does, you know, like yeah. it does. It's yeah, and it's I can a- remember talking to Tony, you know, and and he was saying, you know, you think, I mean, when they when because Tony went solo in NZ for like twenty years, and he the stuff that they used to use his like you you think you're doing it tough with you know mounting radios and epurbs and that he goes mm-hmm. when we went we had none of that and when the people you know you think of the people before us that went they had you know lucky if they had rain gear you know like yeah it's just we think we're doing it tough and other people would look at our stories on the forums and go oh you know that's crazy but really it, it's not there was always someone doing it harder than mm-hmm. you were before you you know I think yeah, okay. I, I sort of look at a lot of that European stuff. You know, the boys rock up. You know, the Tazakstans and the tur hunting and all that, the sheep and yeah. whatever, whatever you're chasing. You know, these guys got the the best of everything: the boots, the packs, and these. You know, the locals are just in sandals, it, just yeah. a, a rag, rag sort of, not even a jacket. Like it's just a hessian sack, and then yeah. just power up these hills like it's just nothing. And it's like, yeah, it's what we've become accustomed to. Yeah, we we don't. We oh, gear, gear helps you know it does help it keeps you yeah, that's perhaps one of the things that keeps you there you know if you've got the right gear you're you're much more you're much more likely to stay on the mountain than if you don't have the right gear but this is this is a conversation i have a lot with clinton miller you know like what when does you know lightweight overtake functionality you know like if it's a bit heavier but more functional i'm going to keep you there a bit longer is it best having the really light stuff that you're going to suffer in or, yep. you know, like where does that, where does that balance out? You know, where, where are you on that side on the fence? Uh, I do. 
you obviously you try and back in the early days you were counting everything you know like weighing it and doing all that now if it's been in if i use it you know it stays stays in my pack and and if it's if i things you take at the start things that you put in there and we're like oh i might need to do this it soon becomes apparent that yeah that might be the off chance you might use it once it, you don't need it you know yeah. but yeah i don't know um it depends what lightweight you know i think it depends what it is it's probably yeah what I go over and also yeah it's i don't know some gear you know like i like kafari packs and you know i know people like you know other people that i hunt with and that that they won't use them because they think they're too heavy but you know i i've always used them. i'm pretty loyal to them now I, I like that stuff and and it's worked all these years so i i I like that, you know, but yep. there, you know, there's always weight to be saved. Just got, you know, I think we started for what, 12, 14 days. I think them first hunts were, and, and we were taking seven kilos of food, you know, like, yep. and now it's down to, so we can do it in about 12 days, 400, four kilos, you know, wow. it's cut right down, you know, to nothing. Cause you end up taking double meals and then you're like, oh, I don't really need it. You know, it's, what changed in that? Like, is it actually what you're taking? Like, you know, as far as a uh, like a better nutritional value, or is it just simply not taking as much? Not taking as much, not and and just finding better stuff. You know, we kind of got it down to a bit of an art when we go into countdown over there now and, and buy everything. It's uh, splitting stuff and yeah, just I, I used to take like sashes of sachets of tuna you know and stuff and they were like 500 grams each and it was like nah yeah. don't need to do that now you know Fa- favorite, like, favorite meal in the backcountry um probably an absolute wilderness which is an nz brand butter chicken that's pretty good i'll have to try that one they they yeah we don't we we joke a lot about backcountry meals now we don't really touch them the desserts maybe you yeah. might take one or two of them but after doing, you know, 10 plus days on them things, everything goes out the window, oh, you know. It's guts, man. It's just you it's can't get your wrong. jocks down quick enough. And yeah, it's, it's just wrong. <laughs> so we, we stopped using them, and yeah, they've become the butt of a lot of jokes, literally. Oh. And yeah, just AWs are better there. They're a smaller serves because we were ending up, you know, not eating everything, and it's a waste. Then, you know, you're not, you, you, you're doing a two serve meal and you can only stomach half of it. I mean, we're obviously not that hungry. And, and this led to a lot of things, you know, like these these AW meals are smaller, they're vacuum packed, so they're tighter, you know, they're not big bags of air and just enough to eat, you know. Like. Yep. Yep. What's and rationing, you know, it's kind of not rationing, but you know, we'll we'll know what we need to have each day, you know. Gotcha. Five, five, six crackers, a couple of bars of chocolates, a nut bar, soup maybe, and then a main meal and that's it, you know. That's right. Yep. <laughs> I did that, and and look, and I'm the first to admit, like I haven't done, I haven't done New Zealand yet. I probably need to keep myself in the ass for that because I've travelled over the top of it so many times. But yeah. um, you have to wait a little while now, probably. Yeah, oh, well, I'm freaking out because I got that, I drew that goat tag in Alaska again. So I don't know. Yeah, yeah right. it's not looking good, but anyway, I'm crossing fingers still. But that was probably actually, and and on that, that was sort of the first, you know, real sort of backcountry, or you know, back mountain hunt, whatever you want to call it. Um, in Alaska and I did the same thing you know I went in for eight days took eight days worth of food and I ate 
I think I ate the, in four days. I think I ate two days worth of food, like just little yeah. things like that. And and it was straight away. I was like, yeah, all right, I, I see what all this is about. And and I love me food, but you just can't really eat like there's yeah, you've got enough. You you need the energy, but it, I mean, this has led to a lot of changes in my life. You know, just through doing that, and I'd be like. We'd go, you know, you'd go out on a hunt in the morning, get out there, and then it'd be like three o'clock, and you'd be glass, and you'd be like, "Oh shit, I haven't eaten my breakfast yet," you know, and and <laughs> and and it, that led to a lot of things, you know, like I I um like only once a day usually, especially through the week when I'm at work, I I just eat dinner, you know, because I was like, if if you can if you can go on the mountain where you're expending all that energy and eat only that little amount of food and we're sitting at home here just stuffing our faces every day smashing us yeah and and you know this is another thing from tony he was getting quite heavily into like omad and fasting and i was like well i'll give it a go because of i had already kind of started realizing that didn't need to eat three meals a day here and yeah yeah, i just stopped it lost a heap of weight and yeah just functioned better you know on that did it you know did you have just better health benefits like you know off the mountain but just in general life yeah for sure you you know yeah definitely you know i I got like an hour and a half commute to work and i was just finding you know i was nodding off to sleep a lot coming on the way home and stuff driving and i was like as soon as i stopped that especially lunch stopped having lunch that that kind of got a lot better and and just you're just more alert you know i know i've done a couple of longer fasts and and it kind of same sort of thing as going to NZ and pushing yourself and seeing how far you can go. You know, I've only done short ones like, you know, five days, but you can go five days without food. You know, I've done that. That's a challenge for myself and it's it's completely doable, you know, drive to work, work machinery all day, come home and be fine. You know, it's a mental thing. Yep. It's all mental. We, I don't, in my opinion, none of us here really eat for nutrition anymore. It's just cravings and comfort and because it's habit, because you've had three meals a day forever, but yep. you can actually test yourself and actually do it, you know. It's, Worse for it's it. doable. Yeah. Worse for it, for sure. What, um, how many times you've done New Zealand now? Can you remember? Six. Six times. Yeah. Yeah, six times. And they've all been? Oh, five, five have been... Oh, they've all been good. Yeah, when we've had some some hiccups along the way, places getting flooded out. We've done West Coast five times and yep. East Coast once because we couldn't get in. Yeah, okay. So yeah, so yeah, they've all been good. I haven't, I, you know, I've never, I've had a couple of shots at Tar, but I've never, I've never actually killed one. So that's why I've got to keep going back as well. But but I just find that um, so cool to be able to come from someone that loves. Yeah, yeah, I find that so good that you can just go. Yep, I'm going straight back tomorrow. Yeah, it's it's obviously that's the goal. You want to kill one, but you know it's it's become a lot more than that. You know, friendships have been formed. You know, when I when I started, when we started in 2011, you know, I think you know Paul had his kids. They were a bit older. Clinton, oh, I think two weeks before he had his daughter. Mm-hmm. And oh, I didn't have kids then, and you know I've got two kids now. Clint's got two kids. Paul's gone, you know, like it's passed away. It's it, a lot of life has been navigated through, you know, since we've started going over there and all become part of it. You know? Yeah, so it's it's unreal, mm-hmm. and I wish I wish you know a lot of people that you know listen to this podcast and and many others that don't, but um, you know I wish they could sort of see the stories and that that were in that for yeah. because you that really know sort of where that what you just said comes from and and i yeah. think that's where sort of hunting 
it's probably lost that a little bit, but it, you know, we're slow. I think we're slowly getting it back because we have lost it. So I think we're really there's a lot of us trying to get back out there and get that again. Mm. And, and it wasn't, you know, I was I was putting stuff up on there. It was more, you know, it, I don't think it's as much. I kind of don't think it was as much on the forums then as people beating their chest. You know, look what I've done. It's, no, there's none of it. Which, which, what's kind of social media can seem like that a bit now. Whereas mm. then it was more like a trying to yeah put something up that will be preserved you know that i can show my kids when they're you know even that's like writing in the magazines and that you know you kind of want to do that because that's pieces of your history that you can keep you know but yeah that that stuff was oh it was a good learning curve you know and for other people reading as well it was a good bit of information well i'll look at a lot of the you know a lot of us that were in that time and you know what they've succeeded in now um, you know everybody holy shit like you know, from and you Everybody. think that some of that information back then has has really played a part in how successful they've been now. Um, yeah, yeah. So, what do you what hunts fill you in? You know, obviously New Zealand happens when it happens, but uh, you know what what fills the fills the void? Uh, um, probably fallow, not, probably like, not enough. But <laughs> I like yeah. Well, that that's the kind of the thing. You know, once you do one like that, like a massive. I've, I've always I don't know since I've come over here. I've I've always been into adventure hunting you know like mm. i guess you know new zealand because the hunts we're doing england hunting was you know you know well, i don't know what you go out for a morning and then come back for lunch and you you know you don't camp out or do anything like that it's yep. just short hunts you know you're there for hunting and killing stuff and doing something whereas i crave the adventure you know go out and live out of a backpack for a week or two you know like mm-hmm. so I kind of when when you do ones like that, everything else kind of starts to pale in comparison, you know. So it's kind of getting motivated to to, to do smaller ones. But I like I like hunting fallow and that, you know. But that's a lot of that's changed lately with all the overpopulations and the droughts and the moping yep. in chiller boxes. You know, that's places Smashing I had to hunt have kind of changed now. So yeah, you know, haven't haven't done as much as I should really. And also other, you know, like I say running running trying to run businesses and that you kind of um and work other full-time jobs as well there's always something to do and you kind of feel like you're neglecting stuff if you go and do something but it's in i think it's important that you do because you can get burnt out a lot but it's it's getting past that in your head that i can leave this and go and do that you know (laughs) you touched on something actually that myself and lonnie brockman had a bit of a conversation there i think yesterday the day before but um, you know about finding the motivation like I had a I ran over a quick a block that really I you know I've been spoiled with access over the years and you know I don't have that now for you know all the various reasons management and property sales and all those kind of things and I've only yeah. really got the one at the moment and you know with obviously the borders closed and that's sort of stuffed up a lot of yeah, plans yeah. but it is what it is and um, you know and same thing I went over there and there's a dog trapper just driving around his buggy all day checking traps you know what I mean and I'm just sitting yeah. up on the hill just watching him drive around. I'm like, this is just a waste of time, you know. And, you know, I got back and I Lonnie or I had to touch base and he had the same trouble. He had, you know, he couldn't get onto a block. And and I said to him, I said, man, I've, I've got to be honest. I said, I'm, I'm really starting to lose motivation. And it's funny you say the big trips really sort of take the cake and everything else is really hard to find motivation for because that's where I'm struggling with most at the moment with Alaska and yeah, you've America. got the sickness, sickness as well. Got sickness over there, and but with mm. that being a little bit fifty-fifty because of what's going on, 
it's like shit. I'm really lost because I don't. I'm I'm worried that I'm not going to have that thing to work for. And yeah, that motivation thing's a struggle. Yeah, it is. It's oh, it, all part of these big trips. They take. It's and I guess that's the pull of them. You know, it's not you. You kind of base your life around them. You know, you train. I mean, that that's hard. If if you're not into it all the time, you know, you kind of. I I remember it used to get to. February and I'd start training February the 1st for three months and do it, you know, three times a week, an hour after work. But even that needs tempering, you know, you, yep. you do a, you do a full day's work, drive home an hour and a half. And then I want to see my kids, but I know if I go in and see them, I'll end up playing with them. And so you kind of stay up in the shed and train for an hour and then come down and then they're getting ready for bed. It's like a, it's a, it can be, and then that's tension on you and your wife you know they've yep. got to be very understanding of what you want to do and what makes you whole you know they've mm-hmm. got to know that if you're not doing this you're not going to be happy and and luckily my wife is like that you know she'll she'll let me do things I want to do you know yeah. to a point obviously but um yeah it's it can be it's it's all consuming and then you know you're spending money on gear and and then you get back and you're immediately spending money on gear again because it's <laughs> stuff you wanted to change. And, yeah, yeah. It's, it, it is just – it becomes your life, I guess, you know. Yeah. And that's why then, yeah, the motivation when you can just take your bow and go around the corner, it just seems like, oh, what am I doing, you know? Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. And, mate, it, it sounds like you can nearly write my book as well, you know what I mean? Because <laughs> it's, it's, it's identical. I think we're all the same. You, you'd have it harder with the amount of kids you've got. You know? Yeah, well, you know, they do. But, it, you know, at the same time, they – you know, once you get the three, they sort of entertain themselves a little bit, you hope yeah. anyway, but, you know, it still doesn't take the pressure off the wife and, you know, all those kind of things. But, um, you know, and including that, I mean, you're probably a little bit like me. You've you got your hands in other pies. You know, tell us a yeah. little bit. Obviously, you, you make a pretty good quiver, and I've got to admit, I, I don't have a, a curve, but once I get one, I know where I'm going. But, um, you know, tell us a little bit how that started and, you know, how, as it's grown. Um yeah, the lessons learnt. So it's started off probably like most people, you know, I like making stuff and I'd put pictures on the forum of leather work and that. And then, you know, people start asking you, oh, can you make one for me? And you start selling them and a few little things here and there. And But, you know, you, you kind of knowing what I know now, you go, that's, you know, that's a very the wrong way of going about it because you, you kind of, you come from just someone who's uh, someone who crafts stuff to then trying to be a business owner and they're two different worlds and you're trying to find a meeting point in the middle that you can cross over. And, and that, that becomes very difficult, you know, because when you're starting, you don't think you don't put the value in your time Mm. and your creations to be what they're worth because you don't think people are going to pay for them. But then you, you know, once you start actually trying to run it as a legitimate business, you have to then try and convince yourself that people will pay them and they're as good as everyone else is, yep. you know, or better. But that's a, a hard bridge to cross, you know. But That's a personality trait too. Uh, yeah, that's the it. Same issue, mate. If, if you're kind of, yeah, any anywhere near being humble, it's very difficult, you know. And you, you don't – I know myself that I don't – I don't want anyone to ever have a problem with my stuff. You know, stuff breaks and it's used outdoors. I go, you know, that's why I've kind of put the, the you know, I've got good warranty policies, you know, if, if someone breaks it, I'll replace it because I don't want people to be unhappy or, yep. you know, 
it's not worth it, you know. It's it's just bad press for you if you don't start. And I've had it with companies, you know. I bought I bought bows from America, you know. And just as soon as you hand over that money, they're all right up until you hand the money over. When that money's gone, you're contacting them, you know, trying to when it's three months overdue, and yeah, we haven't hit weight on it, and all these kind of problems. And it's just like, how are you actually running a business when you treat your customers like that? You know, yeah. you've got to treat them like gold. Yeah these people don't you know and it's yeah it's numbers a bit hard going, so right? numbers going. You, you, you that's it you just got to try and try and treat everyone fairly and, and to the best of your ability but i take it from being someone you know who makes your own stuff you take a lot of stuff to heart as well you know you don't yeah. want people i don't want people to wait too long you know i i, I get all you know annoyed when you know if, if the the postage takes too long or you know someone gets charged wrong or anything like that you know I, you, you take it all to heart and, and that's that's not the trait of businesses that make money i guess but yep. you know you've got to be a bit colder but it's it's hard you, yeah. you don't really want to be like that you know Definitely. so do you run a pacific stock line or is all your stuff custom made so all all the stuff i've got is you've got so it's premium custom quivers Yep. for traditional modern traditional bow hunters so custom to me I, I did a lot of custom like truly custom stuff where people would ask for stuff and mm-hmm. it's not worth it there's too much back and forth you can't yeah. you can't run that as a off a website and as a business because it's too it's too much too time consuming to keep up with people you know all the back and forth so you basically got three colors three sizes so brown black and green and four five and six arrow Mm -hmm. and with my stuff that makes it a bit different is everything is interchangeable it's like a modular system so if you buy the strap on brackets for your bow and you have a four arrow hood and a gripper with that and then you want to you're going to the cape and you want six arrows you can just buy the hood and the gripper and then as i come out with more stuff you know different attachment points and the side quivers you can then just take whatever parts you want and add them or take them away and build your own custom setup to what you need and how you hunt basically. Yeah. 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 Really cool. And I mean, obviously a lot of that, you know, it's, has a lot of it been trial and error from yourself or feedback from others? Like what, uh, what made you go to that sort of modular system? Uh, I, I don't know. It's just, it seemed, uh, you've got, I think in business, you've got a, you've got to be different from your competitors. You know, we're all building stuff that's been, we're all reinventing the wheel, whether it's with broadheads, quivers, whatever, it's all been done before. But if you can put your spin on it and obviously because I use it and I, I use it in some pretty extreme environments, I've got ideas of what works and what doesn't work. So, you know, I can put my spin on how I think things should be, you know, like, so that's, that's kind of why I went down that road. Yep. Yep. What, um, going back to gear but what bow are you shooting now i'm shooting a custom kodiak takedown a bear recurve like fred bear recurve because mm-hmm. i always had his books and videos and that and you know his big inspiration of what he what he did for the archery industry and i i had two custom bows fail on me one was in nz on in what was that 2016 mm-hmm. i just I just stalked a tar. This is when we we couldn't get into the west coast because everything was flooded, and we managed to get find somewhere to go over on the east coast. And we walked in, and and we'd spent a few days up there. And I just I just stalked a tar across this cliff, 
place I shouldn't have really gone. <laughs> Looking back, as soon as I that got off there, like I looked back and thought... That just sounds like West Coast with you blokes, to be honest with you. But. Yeah, sh- shouldn't, shouldn't have been there. And, and this tar was coming up the other, feeding up the other side of this gully. And I got to this gully, but it was it was way too much of a crosswind barreling down there. And, and he was out of range. So I was like, yeah, forget it. Clinton had been sort of following me and we got around and started heading back to camp. And we got back to camp pretty dejected and but still having fun and and clint shot at a tussock with his blunt and then i did the same and my bow bottom limb just snapped (laughs) so that was kind of gutting after all that preparation and being over there it was kind of that that one was probably the worst hunt we'd done you know coupled with some other things it was it was pretty bad but but you know a bad day's hunting over there is a good day yeah really i bet bet. (laughs) and and then I kind of wanted to keep with that design of bow because it was like a particular design of limb and I bought another one. As soon as we were in the hotel on the way, you know, coming out of there, I started researching and yep. and I teed one up and got that. It took too long to come and, you know, they messed me about a lot and I wasn't real happy with the customer service. So straight away you got a sour taste in your mouth. I didn't even really want the bow after that and then got it and within, I don't know, a couple of, I'd, I'd probably shot. 200 hours through it and then the rut came around and yeah bottom limb snapped again (laughs) so i totally changed and and went down the nostalgic path that i should have gone down a long time ago and yeah Yeah. i I like them you know it's they're they're nice bows it's a good innovative system and yeah yeah it's uh works for you mate that's the main thing yeah you know it it doesn't really matter i've always hunted with long bows so i thought you know i'll have a bit of a change and have a recurve something a little shorter and yeah, it comes apart good. That's the you know. What for, length is for, it? It's a it's a 60-inch bow all up, but it's you know you've got a good riser length and and um, limb length when you're packing it in your bag, you know. Because I use a, um, a reckoning Kafaru reckoning pack, yep. and I like those side pockets because you can I can stick the whole bow in one of them, you know, and it doesn't. Through experience, when you're you've got a fully packed backpack, and then you're trying to squeeze a bow into the pack as well, because you don't want stuff hanging off your pack in NZ. You know, it's mm-hmm. I kind of like the pockets on that. That squeezes down in there nicely, and you can access it even when the when the pack's full. You know, so yep. yeah, yep. it's good. Yeah, yeah. I'm asking about that recall because I'm, I'm seriously thinking about getting one. So I'm oh, get look, there's if again for some reason. You look at somehow, you know, I should say. South Cox. I mean, there's a few people that make them here. You know, obviously we're a bit behind everything else, but um, there's there's some good ones. You know, but um, South Cox, he makes a really good bow. You know, a lot of people that buy my quivers uh, put them on his stalker bows. He's a yep. uh, you know he's a dependable. Paul used to do a lot of tests on them. You know, write reviews for the mags, and he's always he was always happy with them. So yeah, yeah. yeah. There's some. Uh, and I, I look at it. You know, I and insane. I like I I look at one. You know, something like I just get out in the backyard and, you know, you don't have to really sort of set up. You just fling a few down and, mm. you know, just muck around with the kids and that kind of thing. Rather, you know, obviously with the compound, it's sort of a little bit, you know, I have to have a proper target set up and yeah, yeah, punch yeah. it through it, all that kind of stuff. But, um, mate, I'm going to run through, run through yeah. your gear a little bit. So go ahead, mate. It all depends on how deep you want to go with it, <laughs> how, yeah, how much you want to commit. probably a little bit of worry. That's probably why I haven't done it, but... Mm. Um, 
yeah, it'll be a fad, and then I'll be back to the other one because I can't hit anything with it. And, you know how it works. You've right. got to, you've got to commit that to, you know. <laughs> but you know, it's fun if you're having fun shooting arrows. You'll, you'll have a lot more fun with the trapper. You know, this, you know, you hunt with people that have got them, and it's fun. You know, people don't go grabbing their compounds in a camp and, and shooting targets. They grab the recurve and do it. You know, it's, it's exactly. I, some of my <clears> best times. I mean, I remember sitting, we were chasing boars one winter. It was myself, Ben McCulloch, and a, and another fella. Um, I just forgot who was with us actually, but yeah, it was the worst freezing cold day. We found an old, it was an old, uh, you know, they tie the horses up and they put like little saddle shed and yeah. uh, we we're in one of them and um, had a fire inside this thing. We ended up getting smoked out. Our eyes. That's when you, when you wish you had your Kafari TP then. Yep, straight <laughs> up. And then yeah. you were still sitting there shooting this damn longbow. Like, yeah. <laughs> it's like you'd have an argument who was, who was getting the arrows because it was that freaking cold. They are fun. But they um, can... good day, bloody ripping day. Had a, had, you know, I still just remember those things. It's probably one of the worst conditions for hunting, but... Yeah, probably a good day in New Zealand to be honest with you, but yeah, you know, for mm. for New South Wales. But mate, um, I want to run through your gear a little bit. Obviously, um, you mentioned the backpack. Uh, you run a kafara, and thank you. Um, mm. you're a, you're a tusk man. You've obviously with the stand boys, you know, a lot of the gear. Um, yeah, yeah, you know, that's very well proven. Um, I've got to get them guys on. We're working on them, so gonna try mm. and try our hardest. But um, hey, working from up, mate. What boots do you run? So I've run lower GTX Hunters for six years. I, they really need replacing now because they're getting pretty bloody warm. But then I wore them in 2011 the first time and I've worn them ever since. And, yeah, the soles are pretty worn down now. But I they, I never got a blister with them. Two pairs of socks and I had a, a thin pair of, um, they were wigwam silver encapsulated socks with, and you know to get the bit of microbial effect going on yep. in there and yep. just another woolen sock over that and yeah they've been money for forever you know yeah how's your break yeah they're, they're, uh, nothing really i did oh, i did, cool. used to do a lot of hikes here before you know before yep. i went over that first time but you know they were like gloves as soon as i put them on yeah. you know they're cool. just perfect i like the I went for them over the Tibets because they were a bit high. They were 10 inches at the time. I don't know if they've changed now. It seems like they've changed the shape of the boots yeah, a bit, but sure. I, I need the, I've got bad ankles and I really need that ankle support. So I cinch them up nice and tight and they keep me, keep me pretty safe. Yeah. Yep. yep. Um, are you a synthetic or Merino man? Uh, synthetic over there. Synthetic yeah, over for there. sure. Yep. They dry quicker and just, yeah, like oh, the Tusk base layers, his, uh, his um, synthetic ones are the one the uh, the way to go. I think you know they've got they've got some good features, and you know they've they've come. I know what background they've come from. You know they've been basically designed to do what I do. So yep. Yep. they all the tough stuff is you know I really like it. You know again like Kafara, I'm a bit loyal to them. You know like I it's hard, but I know how hard it is for people to set businesses up and make them work. So. Mm. I know what he's doing and what he's gone through and the, the hardships Tony's gone through to get this to where it is. And yeah, whenever you can support him, it's good to do that, you know? Yeah. Perfect. Uh, rain jacket. Um, I've actually, again, this has been NZ's a bit funny, you know, you're, you're wet all the time, especially in the West coast, you know, where if you're, if you're wearing something, you're wet from sweat. And if you're, <laughs> if you're wearing, if you're not wearing it, you're wet from rain. So a lot of the time we would hike in, you know, and it would be pissing down with rain and 
and I'll just have you just have your base layer on and then just put something dry on afterwards. Yeah. But yeah, I've had I I don't know when I started I had a ridge line jacket there and I've a mallard jacket, but that just got heavy. You know that's that's too heavy to take. So I, I probably you probably don't remember there was a Kafari windstopper that was mm-hmm. DWR coated and it had the you could pass the waist belt through the pocket, kind of similar to the um, Lost Park Parker. And yep. and I, after walking out once, um, it was like driving driving rain at an angle you know and we were walking headwind out across the grass flats the last bit coming out and it was freezing and you couldn't you couldn't put your hands anywhere because you had walking poles and that and then i started just using one walking pole and i i thought that jacket and i managed to get one just as they were finishing up making them you know and and you could put your hand in with your waist belt and keep it warm and it really does stop the wind good you know they need to i wish they made them still you know they're so i kind of just been wearing that and let's let's put a word in Um. yeah they were good (laughs) But um, yeah, kind of just that, and I took some um, last time I went over. Just had some normal, normal um, like waterproof pants, pullover yep. ones. But none of them are designed really good for over there. I'm kind of waiting for Tony to get the, the tough stuff when eventually it comes yep. out. You know, okay. I know he's working on yep. getting the best stuff out. So yeah, definitely. I mean, it's one of the things you know, without. I mean, I learned that in Alaska because it's, you know, when you're wet, it's just wet. The air's wet. Like, it's oh, there's no everything. dry. And, yeah, you can have, unless you've got a rubber Yeah, that's what it's got to be. It's got to be, be, be that, you know, like it's – everything gets wet out there. What You can't you can't get away from it. You might as well just get wet straight away and yep. be happy with it. You just want stuff that dries because if it dries, you can do something about it, you know, like I – I rarely now, I've, I've, I use again a slick bag like a fiery one and I have done for a long time and mm-hmm. and I'll just jump into that with my base layers on. I literally don't take my base layers off yep. the whole trip. I just jump in, dry them because you used to take a, a spare and then you would, oh, that's obviously weight you're carrying and then you would pull it all off at the end of the day, you know, get into your sleeping bag and then you would end up putting it in your sleeping bag so it dried and that's just yep. so uncomfortable. You're better off. You know, you wake up and it's dry anyway. Yeah, so using your body tempters. As long as you, yeah, as long as you've got a bag that can handle that. No, I know people that do it with down bags, but you know, and that then you get it a little bit lighter because of the downs lighter. But you know, it's just what you're used to. I know my stuff works, so I'll just stick with yeah. that. You know, for now. <laughs> I think I'll. I think I'm going to go to synthetic. Like I've got a slick bag now um, that I bought actually before we even started, but I bought it and um, it unfortunately it didn't turn up before I went to Nevada, but. Um, mm. Yeah, after the Alaska trip, I, I think I'll go just just that, f- you know, because there's not a lot of difference. And I know, you know, I've seen the same people's arguments for the new down stuff. Don't get me wrong, but it's just a mindset. Um, mm, I think I'll yeah. go synthetic, and I'll probably do the same with me puffy actually with me insulation piece. Yeah, um, I'll probably yeah I'll just probably run the Lost Parker I think. Um, mm. And um, yeah, they they do look good. I haven't really. That'll take up a bit, a lot of room in my bag. But that's um, what's yeah, hard. They, uh, yeah, they're not. They're, they're definitely don't space. pack down. That's oh, like, the yeah, for, for the warmth you would get, it'd be good. But that space that it would take up, maybe. That's what's on, on that kind of hunt. You know, on a hunt where you're literally taking one of everything and no spare, nothing. You know, like it's you need to be. We run pretty lean, but there's people that run leaner than us. You know, that, yeah. like Pego and that. You know, he he takes it to another level again. Yeah, yeah it's um, it's a fine what line. What do you do? It? You know that that's the line between weight and and functionality. You know, and being used to what you're used to. You know, once you know it works, you kind of mm. are loath to 
keep researching stuff and changing unless something really groundbreaking comes along and then it's got to be proven to you you know in your mind as well before yeah. you change yep yep that's a big one in it especially when you're you know that's extreme conditions i guess that's it we know what we've been through over there and what's broken and what survived and you kind of you know it does then you know however much marketing someone's marketing someone spins at you you don't know well you know they're trying to sell their stuff but yep. have they really used it in the situations you're going to use it and you know for most people 99 percent of people that's not going to be a problem but you know once you do some of these different type of hunts and you are relying on stuff so much you know it's you've got to really rely on that piece of equipment and know it works. Yeah, definitely. And I, I always say, you know, just stay open-minded about, you know, the information that you're receiving and then, you know. Try it out. Yeah, try see it how out, you go. see how you go. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's it. Mate, yeah. who has been your biggest mentor? Here uh, in, in... In hunting. In, in, in hunting or in, probably my dad. Yep. For sure my dad, you know, like he taught me everything, you know, everything not just not just hunting wise but values about why hunt you know i'm very i hunt i hunt because i want to hunt but i hunt for meat a lot you know it's that's the most valuable trophy for me being able to eat what i kill and cut it up and do all that you know but saying that again i'll hunt something with antlers as well yeah you know because you're still going to get the meat you get that whole package but yeah if i haven't shot anything that's what i'll be shooting whatever comes along because i want that meat but yeah yeah, you know just values and everything and just shape shape me as a person you know i wouldn't have i wouldn't have taken these leaps in my life if it wasn't for him you know both my parents you know yeah yeah that's you know this is me coming over here like this is as much, you know, because they said go, you know, it's yeah. you just do it, you know, you can always come back if it doesn't work out. And having that blessing, you know, made a massive difference. My life would have been totally different if you were going against their will and what they thought you should do, you know. So I've been really lucky in that respect. And yeah, just everything everything he's taught me about hunting and life. I've That's awesome, man. Very grateful for. And then, you know, I've met lots of other people along the way and your dad will always be your dad you know like yep. but yeah got a lot of information of other people tony's been a big one you know i've spent a lot of time with him and and just learning the best way to go about stuff over in nz and gear and and why you know doing stuff certain ways and 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 then you know i, I respect him a lot for what he's done with tusk and and getting that off the ground and like i said before the hardships he went through mm. you know losing money and all kind of things you know and the sacrifices is made you know people people don't realize you know they're quick to complain some customers are you know you get a a lot of customers are really happy with what you've done but they i don't even know if they realize what goes into this you know people are quick to say oh why don't you do this but they don't realize that that little change on that garment would put the price up by you know x amount and then no one would buy it or then you know it it doesn't if you're making, and this comes from me as making stuff and and where I started making stuff, you know, I look at it in a totally different way now than what I did then because yep. then it was just you don't count your time, you use what you've got there. But now, you know, sourcing the best parts for a particular product is going to cost money, you know, like mm-hmm. it's going to cost money and then processes you look at them in different ways and someone might say, well, that doesn't fit my bow properly or why couldn't you do it like this? But it's, you're kind of, 
there's a greater picture of why you've done something the way you have, you know, yes. because when you, you can't, you can't make, if you're making it for just you, you can make it perfect and to fit, you know, but if you're making it for everybody, it's got a, there's a certain point where you have to stop and go, yes, that's going to suit 80% of the people. That's where I've got to pull up, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And like we always say, you know, Clinton, Clinton and I, you know, we look at gear and, you know, you're constantly modifying stuff. I horrified sometimes he'll ring me up and, and say, yeah, you know, I've just got this and he's sent me photos and he's already cut bits out of it <laughs> and changed <he's> it. it. <laughs> and I know like Roxy's wife must look at him and go, you just spent, you know, how many hundred dollars on that and you're already cutting it up. Why, you know, but it's to suit your needs. You, you kind of, the way we look at it is you buy products that are as close as you can to what you want. And then you do that last 10, 20% yourself, you know, and and that's what people have got to realize, you know, the things aren't made for them. They're made for everybody that's going to use them in different situations. If you want something different, you have to be able to do that last bit yourself, you know? (laughs) And I I totally agree that in in another way, you can nearly spin that going backwards, but a lot of people think that they need a certain thing when for 80% of the time they're doing stuff, you don't even have to go near it. You know what I mean? That's like, right. You're, not, a, you're not going to need There's it. a better option, a more comfortable or whatever it may be. But but then that's a fail safe. A lot of people put in, you know, they try to get the most out of what they buy and say, you know, it will cover this situation as well. Whereas you might buy it for that one situation. And like you say, 90% of the time you won't ever come into contact with that kind of scenario, you know, but yeah, this is like NZ again, like, <laughs> packing your bag you know uh do i need a spare you know i spare this and a spare that but yeah you might do but after doing a load of trips over there you realize that yeah that is probably never going to happen and you've just got to you've got to weigh up the the weight costs of do i carry that in the you know yep. event that that might happen or do i do that i mean i'm not talking safety stuff like first aid kits and epurbs and things like that that's, but that's just in but luxuries yeah you can you can do without a lot more than you think you can you know yeah 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 and i, I guess it depends on yeah experiences and how tough you think you are that is how it tough and you it, really are <laughs> but then if you if you want to carry that and it keeps you on the hill then carry it but you're the one that will be carrying it you know so. yeah i think that's probably a lot of it isn't it it's and, and once again this is I have oh, done it. Especially, far, especially but... them first trips, you know, you're you're always you don't know what scenarios you're gonna encounter and you're trying to do your best to navigate and buy the gear that's gonna cover you for all these scenarios. But in my experience in life, you know, one thing that if if one thing covers a lot of scenarios, you it's gonna be better at covering one scenario than it is another. Yep. So you're kind of not getting the the right tool for the job you're getting like a jack of all trades and it's going to lack in all them places mm. whereas if you get one tool for one job it's going to be good at that job so well, i sort of say yeah. that on tents you know you got the three season <laughs> that's tent it. and the four season just buy the four season yeah that's it that, we that's use personally yeah. how i look at it but uh, we've moved to hillbergs now hillbergs we use them kind of finnan's got a Sulo, the single man one because we used to have to split up you know like mm-hmm. me and paul being one and clinton would be in the other maybe 50 meters away on the next flat spot on the top of the hill you know and and then we started using a two-man i can't remember what it is an actor or an 
Alak. Alak, I think. Alak, I don't yeah. know. One of them, but it's the same as a Sulo, but just the female one. And that, yeah. that thing's been bomb proof, you know. Yeah, I think the Sulo is one I had my. I was say I Echo is the single single one. It's Yeah, um, right. So it's the it's the Alak then it must be. Yeah, yeah because I took Echo to it's funny how these things work and talking about having a two man is That's like the door on the end and you crawl it into is. that one. You crawl yeah, yeah. yeah. Yep, that's the one. See, that would be no good in NZ cuz you need your own vestibule space. Yeah, so you got yeah. Yeah, it's only got a smaller little vestibule on the end, but mm. it's um I took that to Alaska cuz we all took our carried our own tents up. And then we had room for two tents or three tents for six yeah. bikes. <laughs> it didn't matter anyway. Yeah. So we all took, we bought a bit of, well, which luckily, you know, a couple of guys, they all, they had two mans. And so it would have, we would have been better off dropping the weight and just taking two man tents, three two mans yeah. instead of the uh, the six tents up. But anyway, uh, things you learn. That's it. Our space is premium up, especially when you're up mountains. It's, you know, there's no, there's no flat spot. You spend a lot of time burn a lot of hours chasing chasing a flat spot but you just got to kind of do the best you can and yeah sure. it is better to share stuff i mean i've been on hunts with people not not so much nz hunts because we're all on the same page but you want to take your own gear you know and stuff like that i can remember in when i first got here i went to the vic high country and you know i had i had a four-man teepee then and and um I had this and the guys I was with wanted to sleep in their own tents and they had one each. Yeah. And I was like, I've got a heated tent here yeah. and I'm in it on my own, you know, and you guys could be in here. And then they wanted to have a campfire outside. I'm like, yeah, this is a bit odd. I'm going to sit outside in the cold or I could sit in my tent on my own with a stove. So yeah, it kind of <laughs> a bit weird. But, Actually, I've got a, yeah. uh, I've got a saw tooth here. I'm yet to use it. I'm pretty keen to give it a run. Oh, they are. I, I do. Yeah. They, I would like the headroom in one of them, but again, I, I've got a super tarp now, and you know that's such a versatile bit of gear that I, yeah, I I loathe to I get a, rid of it or change it, but I don't like crawling into it. Yeah, <laughs> I would like to have a bit more headroom. Yeah. they need to make one in between a sawtooth mini or something like that. Yeah. Again, I'll probably have to modify this one and, and don't go cut one of them up. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Right, you've got to do what you got to do. Well, that's true. I oh, actually did forget one in the gear too. Trekking poles or, or um, axe? Um, so now, so I've been through, we've been through a lot of trekking poles. So the first trip, um, me and Paul both had trekking poles mm -hmm. and I can't remember, X-bed ones or something. And Clinton, his knees went bad on the walk-in and he ended up with a stick we carved X-Ped into it. That was his take to piss X-Ped <laughs> pole. And, and that thing stayed with him. It got chucked in the river at the end of the trip on the way out, you know, like it. Yep. And then then I think um, Paul had carbon ones, but they both snapped on the way in. So that sort of steered us away from carbon poles. And I went aluminium poles and two poles. And I probably wouldn't do that. I think a single pole is best for, for us. I, I really like I like the trekking pole because I've got bad ankles and it's gotcha. like that tripod effect. Because yep. a lot of time you'll be walking along a, uh, a river flat and it'll be like on footballs basically and, yep. and being able to hop apart and but take the weight off that step and especially going downhill. Yep. I really, really like them for my situation, my ankles. And one aluminium pole is good. But now from one of the last – no, 2015 – we went into a range and it was a like a south side facing range so it never got the sun and it was all, all the snow was frozen on there and it's pretty steep and we were traversing across the side of it to get to this hunting spot and 
And um, we ended up going, Clinton had already bought one and after that born, that's like an extendable trekking pole with a, it's more of a fall arresting pick on it. It's not so much an ice yep. pick head, but it kind of, you can use it to arrest if you start sliding down, but you can use it if you put the pole all the way in, you can use it as a bit of a pick to get a bit of grasp on mm-hmm. frozen stuff and that, and, and that works really well. And yep. you couple that with some good long crampons, you know, like I had little, I had crampons we've been using and they had like, I don't know, half inch spikes on them. And I got to a point where I couldn't even kick them into the snow because it was so frozen. And I just like one kick and my whole leg went and slipped out, you know, just couldn't. So I ended up trying to go down the hill with all the points sticking in as much as I could and then travel, travel across and then back up with full contact. Whereas Clint was just like walking along with these with these um, crampons and massive spikes on them. So I got a pair of them, but I haven't actually got up there to use them again <laughs> since then. That because just, it's, yeah, that been, just sounds hectic just listening to that. Yeah, <laughs> oh, it's, it was pretty crazy that day. Clint shot a tar that day, though, so that oh, was well, good. That was but then, right, we, so. then, then we got reined in for 72 hours in our tents, oh. and then he went back across there with Paul because I said I'm not going back across there in yep. the ice. So Paul went and then he had the exact same opinion as me. When he got back, he's like, shouldn't have gone across there. That was too dangerous. And <laughs> But they found his tar, so that's good. Yeah, that's the kind of, yeah, that's a hunting NZ for you. Oh, that's just unreal. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I mean, little things like a, a length of crampon, like something that I never would have yeah. thought of. But Just another another core inch of spike on there, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Makes yeah. a big difference. Yeah, that's yeah, awesome. Yeah, so. And mate, to top it off, what's your best read? What book would you pick up and say this is the best read I've had? Because you you sound like you're you are a bit of a reader and a researcher. What's the uh, best one I bought up? a lot of when I was in England. I ordered a lot of books from Three Rivers, like the traditional archery supplier. And yeah, I've got a big bookshelf. Um, I don't know. Depends what you're going for. I it's one that sits in your mind. Hunting wise, yeah. Um, go hunting. Ooh. I would say I, I. That's a tough one. Um, one by Don Thomas, Longbows in the Far North. That's a really good one. Cool. I'll write down. But I've got plenty more. You know, the, all the Fred Bear ones I really like, and and um, TJ Comrade. You know, the traditional bow hunters Bible. That's got a lot of or handbook. That's got a lot of um, good info. Uh, there's one Trad Gang did, but there's there's another one. It's old school, but it, it's what sort of really ignited my passion in bow hunting. I was managed to get it in England, and it was Bow Hunting Deer by Jim Doherty. And that thing has kind of been my my Bible through hunting, you know, all the old school ways of thinking of, you know, five-inch feathers, solid broadheads, and all that. That's kind of what I've stuck with just through that book, you know. So, But that's a that's an old one. It'd probably be hard to find now. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah. I'm, 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 I'm getting into Ben stuck at home. I'm getting into this Audible. So uh, from yeah, yeah. And going into Audible. So who knows what they got on there? There's a lot of adventures that can inspire. You know, bows, um, bows on the little Delta, the Glen St. Charles one. That's mm-hmm. it's got some really inspiring stuff. You know, like I say again, there was always someone doing it harder before you did it. You know, and and yeah. to see what them guys how they did it with what they had at the time. You know, it's it's crazy. You know, but once you can compare it to something you've done something kind of in the same ballpark, you can look at them and really appreciate yeah. what they actually went through when they were doing that, you know. And to point it's they good. got a, they were successful a lot of the times too, oh, is what Yeah, as well. Mind, you know? 
you know, and, and people say, oh, yeah, but we had, you know, they had more. Well, no, they didn't have more. But even even things like documenting it, making videos and taking photos back then with the equipment they had, oh. you know, no, nothing was waterproof. And, and Alaska, you you know, uh, NZ and Alaska get compared a lot, but I've, ne- I've never been to Alaska, so I don't know. But I'm sure it's pretty, you know, it looks pretty wet there and pretty harsh. You know, you're taking a camera into that place and, Inside. you know, especially the cameras they had at the time. Like, how do you keep that stuff dry and manage to do that stuff? You know, it's mm-hmm. amazing. It's crazy. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, mate, I can't thank you enough for your time, mate. It's been bloody unreal to get you on. It's um, been good. It's uh, been a long time. It has, mate. Mate, I have got slack, and once again, it's a motivation to be thing, mate. And, you know, it's only no, that it's we, get, good. we get times like this that, you know, I think I've I got, got to be honest and a shout out to the guys that, you know, I, I'll probably sit it on another podcast. But, um, you know, when I was down at that Bendigo Expo, and, you know, everyone was coming up and saying, you know, geez, love it. You know, it's done this, it's done that for me. It, it did spur me on, and yeah, it got me. It's good. You, you've um, you've definitely come through a lot. You know, when podcasts were getting uh, serious and everyone was doing them here, you've kind of um, you've won the race there. I think you know you've you've come out on top, which yeah. is a testament to what you've you've done. You know, you've again, it's it's hard work when you've got family and full time jobs and to do something else. It's it's a good achievement. Yeah, it sure. is, mate, and it uh, you know, and it helps. Yeah, obviously conversations we can have something about we love and passionate about it. That's what makes that's it right, part yeah. of it. So, mate, before we go, where's the best place to find anyone that's chasing a quiver? Um, where's the best place to find you? So the website would be the best place, www.marksmanquivers.com. And then there's also Instagram, at Marksman Quivers, and we've got Facebook, which is Marksman Quivers as well. So any of them, jump on. And, yeah, if you got any questions, just hit me up and I'll get back to you straight away. Awesome, mate. Well, all the best getting through this absolutely chaos, chaotic time, mate. I hope things uh, stay nice and positive for you, mate, and um, you're back in New Zealand chasing that time. Yeah, we're going to go this year, but that got knocked on the head. So, yeah, next year for sure. All right, mate. Rip into it. All right, and, uh, No doubt we'll catch up. Yeah, for sure. You take it easy. Thanks for your time. Cheers, buddy. Thanks. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Hunty Camp Down on a Podcast. If you would like any information from today's show, please don't hesitate to contact us on huntingcampdownunder at gmail.com or simply hit us up on any of our social media outlets on Instagram or Facebook. Be sure to join us next week for another awesome episode and we look forward to sharing another story from Hunting Camp Down Under. Bye for now.